When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in. It is the Utopia Football Podcast, our third episode of the bye week. So we don't have a game to preview. We've got no pregame six pack for you today. We'll preview Carolina and the Texans next week when that game's gonna take place. Uh, but we got a lot to get to in this podcast. It's the bye week, so it's a chance to kind of pause and review the season six weeks in. So we've got uh, we've got some superlatives that we're going to hand out uh, here today for the first six weeks of the season as I welcome you in. Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast Sports Radio 610, mornings, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., joined as always by the Hall of Famer and my good friend and our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com. Joining us from the, the shores of the Chesapeake Bay, as you can see in the background there, he's in a different spot this week than he is every other week. The great John McClain joining me, as always, on the podcast here. How are things up in Maryland, John? Sean, it's 62 degrees, bright sunshine, no humidity, very, very little wind. It's just gorgeous, and I always love to come here. It's the first time I've ever been here, and it's not the summer. Uh, yeah, because you, in the past, it was probably awfully hard to travel for you during the fall. What with it being a, you know, hardcore football season and all, but you, you know, you can, you can, you know, step, step back a little bit and relax and do a lot of this stuff remotely. Now, these, now these days, like this podcast and all your columns for sportsradio610.com, right? Absolutely. I did Texans posted this morning. I'll do Astros after game night. The Astros are just so big and important. I'm going to do columns as long as they're playing and pick up at Texans probably on Sunday or Monday because, man, oh, man, that game last night was so exciting, and I can't wait for the next one, game four. Oh, me neither, John. I'm, I'm excited about it too. Um, all right, so let's let's dig into the Texans, though, the first six weeks. I think a six-week period that has gone better than I think most people, certainly most people nationally anticipated the Texans being three and three heading into three and three and ascending heading into the bye week, John, I think is, is the key thing here. They've won three out of their last four and none of their three wins are, are layups. They, it's not like they're beating up on any of the one and five or zero oh and six teams. They'll do that next week. Um, but these are all teams that they beat John so far. They all have at least three wins themselves on the season so far. None has a losing record and they should have beaten Atlanta if they had lost in field goal with no time left on the clock. All right, let's recognize our superlatives, John. We got a bunch of categories here. We need a name for these. Um, how about the either like something with Utopia, like the Topies or something like that? Like these are our trophies that we hand out, the Topies. Uh, I need to workshop something, John, but we're going to do this again at the end of the year. And we need small miniature trophies with your head and my head on it to hand out to each of these uh, to each of these players and coaches we're about to name here. All right, let's start with um, best for the Texans, John. Best position group. Who do you have as best position group? so far for the Houston Texans? Well, I'm going to pass on the position group of quarterbacks because it's one quarterback, and I'm going with wide receivers. 
We all thought before the season started, they definitely needed a wide receiver. They didn't have a big play receiver. Well, they got a big play guy in Tank Dale. They got a big play guy in Nico Collins, who has been tremendous. Nico has, I think, uh, let's see, 29 catches, 547 yards, 18.9 a catch, and three touchdowns. He has become a big-time receiver, and John Mechie is able to play. Robert Woods has been dependable, and so I think the wide receivers. I'm wide receiver too, John. I'm, I'm with you on wide receiver. I wanted to come up with something different. I thought about the defensive backs, I think, especially considering some of the injuries. Um, I think the defensive backfield's done a pretty decent job this year. The performance by Desmond Ritter, notwithstanding, against uh, Atlanta, um, I think they've been the best group on the defensive side of the ball. And the defensive line's improved through the year um, against the run. I think that would have been a good one, too. But it, it's I, I can't shoehorn it in. The wide receiver position has exceeded expectations. And my expectations weren't as low as the, the national expectations were for this group. Um, but Robert Woods and Nico Collins and Tank Dell, when he's been in there, have been outstanding. I'm with you. I'm with you. We, the, the, the wide receivers sweep the best position group, Topi. All right, John. So uh, that's best position group. Let's Next one, let's do best assistant coach, which I don't know if this winds up being the same thing, but let's see. Best assistant coach performance so far this year. Okay, you go first on this one. I will. I'll go first on this one, and I'm going to give Chris Strausser his flowers here. Because- no, that was mine. Okay. Well, they, John, great minds think alike. This is what you, this is what you get for letting me go first. Um, I, but I think that accentuates how good a job he's done, John. And it's probably like you and I, if you're picking him too, then just fill in the gaps on what I'm about to say here. But the hand that he's been dealt injury-wise and the fact that he's been able to not only get backups, backups coached up, but guys that were coming into the building, some of them within a week of the season starting, and they're starting important games protecting a rookie quarterback – and even a guy like Austin Deculus, who you and I joked about throughout the preseason after he just got whooped again in that New England game, when he's had to play this year during the regular season, he's not been awful. He, 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 he's looked better. So I think not just the hand he's been dealt, but the clear development that might be going on with some of these guys who have just showed up in the building in the last few weeks. Chris Strasser done a great job. His assistant, Cole Popovich, has as well. There's two others that I could go with. Obviously, one would be Bobby Slowick. They're already talking about him being a head coach. The other one would be Gerard Johnson, who's coached C.J. Stroud more than anybody. But Slowick is the – got to go with Slowick, first-time play caller. He's done a tremendous job with C.J. Stroud, and both of those guys have. And Slowick's getting a lot of well-deserved recognition around the NFL. And when he makes a mistake or doesn't do stuff well, he he owns it and says he'll do better – and they do, like Devin Singletary not getting the ball against Atlanta and then being their leading rusher in the next game. Just can't say enough good things about Slowick, who got off to a rough start. Somebody on this podcast was blasting him, and uh, I can't remember who that was. was and he's he has done a terrific that guy, job. That guy back there. Right <laughs> in the transformation of this team over the last four weeks. All right, that's a good one too. Slowick's been great, and uh, yeah, like Slowick's been so good. That's it's John. It's weird having a coordinator that I that that for the Texans that we know is going to be a sought after head coach at some point in the next couple of years. This is yeah, foreign I'm, territory. I'm just glad Rex bleeping Burkett isn't on the team, and Slowick would be so tempted to use him 
like uh, Pep Hamilton did last year. I think Slowick would laugh in Rex Burkhead's face when he came <laughs> jogging over to him with his helmet. You want me to go in, coach? No, who are you? Um, all right, next one, John. Most improved player. You go first on this one. There's one on each side of the ball, one that we've already mentioned. Um, but I got to say Blake Cashman. Mm -hmm. Blake Cashman, based on pro football focus, is the highest rated linebacker in the NFL. He's coming off a game with 15 tackles. He makes plays behind the line of scrimmage, on the sideline. He's intercepted a pass. He's a sure tackler. He's just got a knack for the football. Great, great move by Nick Casario to bring him in after he spent his whole career with the Jets on injured reserve. Yeah, well, and bring him in and then extend him for a year. You know, they, they brought him in in 2022, and then it was the decision of the Texans to add another year to his deal. So they are getting great bang for their buck on the Blake Cashman deal. I'm with you on that on the defensive side. I'll take the offensive one, and that's an easy one. It's Nico Collins. Nico Collins has become one of the top 10 receivers in the league, at least this body of work. This is a top 10 body of work in these six games. Now, the key for Nico, John, as we know, is – is he going to be around in weeks 11, 12, and 13? Health has always been the big issue for Nico Collins, but it is really cool to see a guy who they moved up. They gave up – Nick Casario gave up some decent draft capital to move up, I think, 20 spots to get Nico Collins in the building back in 2021. So it's cool to see the plan pay off, and I think it's really cool to see the chemistry that he's built so quickly with C.J. Stroud. He's got one year left to his contract. He's playing for an extension. Nick's going to have money to extend players who deserve it. And I think Nico is in line for a big race. Yeah, they won't be able to do him in season like some of the ones we've talked about on this podcast and on Payne and Pendergast. They'll have to wait till after the season by rule to do Nico Collins, but I'm with you. He's, I could, when, when you and I are headed to training camp in July and we're talking about all the guys that are newly monetized here, he, he, I think there's a good chance he's one of them if he stays healthy this year. All right, John, best play of the season so far. You want me to go first on this one? Uh, on best yeah, play? let me remember how Johnny Carson and McMahon used to do it when, yeah. when uh, he would call out the answer before the question. Okay. Can I call out the, what was it they used to call themselves when he did it? Karnak. Karnak. Okay. If I am a great Karnak and I'm doing this, I would say Andrew Beck. Okay, it actually wasn't Andrew Beck, John. The cookie okay, Tank Dell. No, that's a good one, too. You know what, John? Those are great plays. Those are great <laughs> thoughts. And I think here's what's happening. You can have Andrew Beck because that I, that should be the answer. John, that's the correct answer is Andrew Beck. That should, I mean, they should name this superlative they. We. It's our superlative. We should name this after, uh, after and, Andrew Beck. Yeah, call it the yeah, call it, This is the Becky. Uh, the Becky for best play. Um it's because it got constantly broken down over and over again on every show and YouTube and podcast that I saw after the Steelers game. But that pass that CJ Stroud threw to Nico Collins in stride, a covered Nico Collins in stride, just uh, to, to put the dagger in the Steelers, that 52 yard touchdown pass. I mean, that's one of the prettiest balls I've ever seen thrown in a football game, John. Like it, it was. And that's why that, that maybe that's why I'm feeling the significance of that one. The Beck one is just some it's like that's something out of like that, that's a, a viral video that's going to show up forever and ever. That play to me, why that's the best play is it, it's just perfect indication for why you drafted CJ Stroud. Perfect ball placement, perfect read of what uh, of what the safeties were going to do on that play. So we had Nico Collins single covered, 
up high. And and the fact that the, I'll mix Bobby Sloak in here, that they were being aggressive in a game that they were up by 18 points already, throwing dagger shots in that game was outstanding. So um, that's my best play. It sounds like you're the you're 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 up for the Beck man here, though. Yeah, that's called keeping your foot on the throat, not getting conservative. And uh, well, I had two. I thought you were going to say Beck, and I would have gone with Tank Dell's. 46-yard catch and triple coverage to set up mm. the first touchdown at Jacksonville. But to me, Beck, Beck ought to get an SB. 85-yard return, drop, shouldn't have been catching a ball, uh, dropped it, picked it up, went down the sideline, broke like five tackles, and, uh, boy, that was the one that helped them beat Jacksonville, yeah. bounce back from their 0-2 start. And uh, I think uh, I'd like to see them get the ball to Beck a couple more times, see if he can run like that if he gets some space. <laughs> it's funny, John, the dichotomy of how players felt about that play and how coaches felt about that play with Beck. Because the sense I get is the players were all like, oh, this is incredible. Look at him breaking tackles. Ha, ha, ha. This is hysterical. <laughs> Meanwhile, the coaches, probably first and foremost, Frank Ross, are probably like, bro, don't you ever do that ever again. <laughs> like You're getting in Mike Boone's way or whoever it was he bumped into. You're scooping the ball up. You're running laterally. You like you, you admit it. You didn't know you were going to turn the corner there, Beck. You didn't know you could be able to get to the corner and beat somebody there. I was screaming, no, don't, don't catch yeah. it. No, don't pick it up. Fall on it. Crazy, crazy, crazy. All right. Um, I love that our producer James named it the Becky. <laughs> for the Be We should name all these awards the Beckys after Andrew Beck for that play. Hey, John, that was a big play too, because it was 17-10 at the time. You know, the uh, Jacksonville had come out and scored the first 10 points of the second half. And you could feel the momentum gathering. And that that was like we may look back at the season and go, that might be the biggest play of the season because it, you really did get the feeling like, OK, same old Texans are about to cough up this lead or whatever. And that kind of it kept Jacksonville at bay like C.J. Stroud in his third game on in his third third game, second game on the road, never had to take the field really after the first quarter with anything less than a two score lead. Like he didn't, you know, 17, 10 Beck gets that return. It's 24, 10 all of a sudden. And then they get the turnover. I think that was when Cashman, they've gotten the interception right after that. So that was uh, that was a big play by Beck. All right, John, let's do our players of the year in the three phases. And let's start with the special teams player of the year. Who's your special teams player of the year? Kaimi Fairbairn, 17 of 18 field goals, 12 of 12 on extra points, 63 points. And, his kickoffs have been terrific, hands down, Kaimi Fairbairn. Yeah, I can't go any other direction. If Cam Johnston had played more than a couple games, then I would make an argument for him. He's been great since he got back. He had a huge punt in that win over New Orleans to swing field position in the second half, which ultimately set up the Texans' only points of the second half uh, with that big 63-yard punt. I don't know what Shahid was doing standing where he was for Cam Johnston. It's like they thought that Zentner was still punting. I looked at Seth Payne. I said, he's going to blast it over this poor guy's head. Why is this guy standing 40 yards from the line of scrimmage? And sure enough, he punted it down to the six-yard line. And that kind of swung field position in what was a very you know, low-scoring second half. I can't argue for anybody else other than Kaimi Fairbairn, though. He's been outstanding this year. I hope Nick Casario, because he'll have more money in free agency, will sign Cam Johnston to a new deal. He, remember, Johnston's only free agent. Casario gave a contract more than two years. It was three. It's up. And I hope yeah, they may have to overpay for a punter, but, man, you see all these other teams who have problems like the Texans had with Ty Zedner 
re-sign Cam Johnston. Yeah, he's so valuable. I'd imagine there's value into, you know, one, being on a good team. Two, he's playing for a special teams coach that he knows he's always going to have probably pretty good net punting average because they got good gunners out there. They got good good coverage teams. And you're playing indoors, too. I think that matters to kickers and punters that you're playing in a, you know, 72-degree air-conditioned climate as well. So I'm with you. I, I hope they bring both of those guys back. Um, all right, John, defensive player of the year for the Texans so far. Sure, darn. Oh, okay. My my defensive player of the year for the Texans. I'm gonna go. I'm actually gonna go with Will Anderson, and I know he's only got one sack on the year, but he's he he is active on game days. You know, he is. I don't mean active like suited up. I mean like he's he shows up a lot. Like you see 51 out there quite a bit. Like he's in the pocket causing havoc. I think it's just a matter of time before he's gonna start getting guys on the ground like he did Lamar Jackson earlier in the year. Um, he's like, to me, Grenard's had a good year. Jerry Hughes is a steady vet. I, I just think Will Anderson, um, the impact that he has just being out there and the things that he does, and he's been real solid in the run game too. Um, I'm going to go with Will Anderson as my defensive player of the year so far. Sean, the only other candidate would be Blake Cashman, but I'm going with Anderson too. He's great against the run. He is third in the league in pressure. So, no, he's not getting sacks. And before you had all the analytical sites like Next Generation Stats and Pro Football Focus, people would just look at the sacks and the coaches would say, well, uh, he's disruptive. He's playing the run well. Now you can see just how disruptive he is. Yeah, it's awesome. But, man, the, John, those – and we're going to talk about – I'm sure CJ's name is going to come up here in these next two. Um, but just that those top two picks are paying off like the, the celebration on draft night for those two picks that it's that it that as celebrated as that was as great as it made people feel back in late April that it's playing out this way on the field, too. I think it's just it's so cool, man. It's so cool for the fans of this football team. I think it's great. All right, John. Offensive. We're going to do offensive player of the year and MVP separate categories. Who is your offensive player of the year for the Texans? Well, I don't want it to be C.J. Stroud, so it's Nico Collins. Mm -hmm. Nico, as we said, was the most improved on offense. He's been tremendous. He's become a big play receiver. He gets more yards after the catch because he's big. He told me he's up to 220. Of course, they list him at his college rate weight. So he's 6'4", 220, breaks a lot of tackles. Every time he gets the ball, he's thinking end zone. I think he's been tremendous. He's been tremendous. There's no other choice for him for non-quarterback offensive player of the year. The one guy I would mention that has been really – I'd love to mention somebody on the offensive line, but it's been such a shuffle the whole time. I think like Shaq Mason's been solid. He's been what you signed up for on the offensive line. Um, you know, He's the only guy who you planned on starting at the beginning of the year who's been starting all year for them. So merely from availability, he deserves to get mentioned in this compared to the other yes. offensive linemen. Shaq Mason does the right guard, but I think Robert Woods has been really good for CJ Stroud. Like CJ Stroud's got a real rapport with Robert Woods and he's, while his stats don't jump off the page like Nico's stats do, cause Nico is just an explosive play machine. Um, Robert Woods is a chain mover for this team, man. And he's a leader in that wide receiver room. He's a leader in that building. He likes to block, which is key in this offense as well. So I think I'm I'm with you on Nico, but I think Robert Woods deserves maybe to some people a surprising mention in this category. I'll tell you, you mentioned Shaq Mason. If we were doing an underrated, Jared Patterson has started every game at center. They've not had one bad snap, but a knock on wood, mm -hmm. between a rookie center and a rookie quarterback, and everybody's really eager to see what's going to happen 
when Juice Grubb comes back. I'm assuming it's going to be for Carolina, but Patterson has gone above and beyond for a six-round pick who was playing guard till he moved. I think the biggest thing about Scruggs coming back, John, is that should free you up to move Titus Howard back to right tackle. Yes. You know, yes. Jared, Jared Patterson's going to should be on the field in some shape, form, or fashion, whether it's moving back to guard, which he played at Notre Dame last year, and Scruggs plays his natural position of center, or maybe you keep Patterson at center because he's got a rapport with C.J. Stroud. I'm sure they'll consult with C.J. before they do anything on this stuff. Not that C.J. makes the decision, but they'll want his input on it, I'm sure. And then Scruggs can play left guard. But I think that's the biggest ripple effect you get from Scruggs getting back is it's almost like you're getting full-on Titus Howard back at the same time. So it's two moves that you'll make will improve two positions. Yep, exactly, exactly. That's called bang for your buck, John McClain, what we call that. All right, um, so we're in agreement on Offensive Player of the Year. I think this is an easy one, too. MVP, C.J. Stroud. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Enough said. Yeah. Nine touchdowns, one interception. The only thing he hasn't done well is his completion percentage, which is holding his rating down to 96.4. But he's 59.6. But one of the things I like about him the most, and I know you do too, he doesn't force balls. He just throws it away. Yep. And sometimes he throws things into the ground and people are like, oh, my goodness, he was off target. And I'm thinking, no, he's not off target. He's throwing it away because that's the way he's being coached by Bobby Sloick and Gerard Johnson. So there can't be anybody else. CJ would happily take a 59% completion percentage if it means only getting sacked twice in the last four games. That, that's that's what that is, John. I mean, that's if you watch CJ Stroud, if you're looking at CJ Stroud, and you look at that 59.6% and you're like, well, he's just not accurate. Then you're not watching the games. You're not watching the games. That's that's I mean, that's as simple as I can put it. His completion percentage is not reflective of his true accuracy and his ball placement at all. It's reflective of an intelligence to not take 12 yard sacks like he was doing chronically the first two weeks of the season. To me, the decrease in his completion percentage is an indication of a patchwork offensive line and a smart rookie quarterback getting rid of the football. That's what absolutely. That and that offensive line has only given up one sack in four games. One was his fault when they gave up two in the last one, one sack in four games, despite all the energies up injuries up front, which is another reason your choice as coach of the year. Chris Strauss, Strausser looks even better. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, John, you want to do some, that was fun. I enjoyed doing that. I can't wait to do it at the end of the year. Hopefully it, hopefully sometime in February, that would be great. Well, that was your year. idea and it was a great idea. Thank you, John. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Um, you want to do some for real or fugazis, John? Sure do. We better because James just put the graphic down there that says we need to do them. <laughs> so, um, so let's go ahead and do, I got a few here, John, that we can do And for those who are unfamiliar with this segment. This is a segment where I read a Statement to John McClain, an opinion perhaps. Um, and uh, John either agrees with it, thinks it's right. And so in that case, he says, for real, if he thinks I'm wrong, I'm off my rocker, I'm stupid, whatever the case may be. John says, Bugazi. Bugazi. That's Italian for counterfeit or fake, or in this case, wrong. Um, all right. So let's do this, John. In three years, the Indianapolis Colts will be looking for a new quarter. Let me preface. Anthony Richardson is going to go in for shoulder surgery that's ending his season. He has started and finished one NFL game in his short career so far. Now he's done for the season with shoulder surgery. For real or Fugazi, in three years, Indianapolis will be looking for a new quarterback. Fugazi, I think when he comes back, he'll be a lot smarter, not just about running, but the way he runs. 
you know, you run out of bounds, you go down, you don't look for contact. What he did in the SEC as a starter last year where he can run over them or through them, uh, it's not going to work in the NFL. Now, oh. another example that didn't look, work was Robert Griffin III. When Robert was at Baylor, he wanted to run over him. He wanted to, he wanted to run through him. He looked for contact. He did that in the NFL. He was NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year over Andrew Luck. And one of the reasons because he ran for so much, so many yards and he got hurt late late in that season. He had injuries. He was never the same because he never changed his running style. So Richardson, I'm guessing today, with as much as they'll have invested in him, that he will change his style. Or if he doesn't, he's doomed. All right. Next one, John. Let's stay in the AFC South. The new odds are out for who's going to win the AFC South. Jacksonville is the favorite right now at minus 130. But the Texans have moved up to number two on the odds board to win the AFC South. Their odds right now, I believe, are plus 260. So a little about two and a half to one to you know, 2.6 to one to win the division. For real or Fugazi, the Texans will finish second in the division ahead of the Colts and the Titans. I believe they will. The Colts uh, have Gardner Minshew now as a quarterback. They got Jonathan Taylor back, and then they look terrible in their first game. And uh, I think the Texans are going to keep getting better. The schedule is not something that's intimidating at all. Even the two games that we thought before the season they would lose at Cincinnati, the Bengals are not as good at the Jets, lost Aaron Rodgers. So it's just almost like every game's winnable. But I think right now they're one game behind the Jaguars. If uh, they can stay one game behind them or tied with them, that big game on November 26 at NRG Stadium, if they could win it, that gives them like a two-game lead because of the tiebreaker. They'd have a chance not just to finish second, but to win the division for the first time since 2019. It's so fun having potential meaningful games on the schedule. Just What was it you said before the season? When they're doing at the end of the year, teams that have a chance. Yeah, when they do the graphics. So, so we, you and I were talking about little things that would indicate the Texans are making progress, like real progress. And in like week thirteen and fourteen, where the playoff, the playoff uh, picture is beginning to take shape, they've got the column for the division winners. They've got the column for the wild card teams. You know, if the season were to end that day, and then they've got a far right column trying to handle this on the YouTube here, far right column um, that says in the hunt, you know, teams that aren't in the playoffs, but they're in the hunt. And that usually goes four or five teams deep, like 14 weeks into the season or 14 games. in. if you're six and eight, you're still showing up in the hunt because mathematically you've got a shot. I would have accepted that. Now, if they're six and eight in, after 14 games, I'm going to be disappointed, John, if, if, if you want to know the truth. I mean, that's, but yes, in the hunt, they are going to, they will. I, I feel confident in this as long as CJ Stroud stays upright. They will be in the hunt for the playoffs well into December at the very least. But other than Stroud, I can't imagine them suffering any more injuries than they've already had. You hope it's yeah. not going to be a season-long predicament. But as long as that kid stays healthy, they got a chance. No doubt. No doubt. All right, John. Um, Mike Vrabel is rapidly moving up the charts of possible head coach getting fired. First head coach. I don't think he'd be first head coach, but that's – it's indicative of guys who are on the hot seat. Mike Vrabel has been moving up the hot seat charts. For real or Fugazi, Mike Vrabel will no longer be the Titans coach at the end of the season. Fugazi. Amy Adams Trump, the owner, loves him. You know, it's not his fault. His players keep getting hurt or their offensive line was in shambles. But 
Right now, they're a last-place team. They're going to have to play Malik Willis. some point, they're going to be playing Will Levis. They might be in the running for another quarterback. And uh, they play the Texans late, which I'm guessing we're going to see Will Levis because most people think Ryan Tannehill may have thrown his last pass there because he's he's injured again. He has two touchdown passes and in six games, and it's just the passing game is not working, and Derrick Henry has not, no room to run. So they're in bad shape offensively. Yeah. They still have a good defense. They're going to – like they beat the tar out of Cincinnati. They'll still beat some people, but right now they're a bad team, but he's not going anywhere. That's a shame. That's a shame that Tennessee's a bad hey, team. What about this one? Not mm. going anywhere but New England. Mm, if the job opens up up there, yeah, yeah. Would Robert Kraft call Amy Adams drunk and say, hey, we'd like to have Vrabel? They can't give the number one pick this year because it might be a quarterback. How about we give you our number one pick in 2025? You're saying trade for Vrabel, huh? What's his contract yeah, situation? I don't think they let it. He signed an extension two or three years ago. He's, he's His contract is not up. If he's that good, I wouldn't trade him. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if I, I can't imagine the Titans that they feel that strongly about him, especially if they feel that strongly that they're keeping him in a season where they might win five or six games. Uh, I can't imagine them dumping him. That's the, you got to feel. In a weird way, that shows how strongly you feel about the guy that you keep him through bad seasons like this. Um, all right, next one, John. Kyler Murray activated from the pup list this week off his ACL tear from last year. For real or Fugazi, Kyler Murray is going to play the cards right out of the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. Ooh, that would be three or four victories. I'm going to say that's for real. They've got one because already. They're one in they're one in five. They beat the Cowboys. I'm guessing, even though Joshua Dobbs has played better than people thought, he's no Kyler Murray. And so I'm guessing, you know, what takes you out of the sweepstakes? Three, but then you could trade up and offer a monster deal. You know, the, like the Panthers offered the Bears last year. Yeah. But I'm gonna say they'll still be in the sweepstakes, but only through a trade because they're going to, they might end up with four or five victories and there's so many bad teams. That's not going to get Caleb, Caleb uh, Williams, Caleb Williams or Drake may. Yeah. Well, they got the Texans first round pick, but all that's going to be for them is a sweetener and a trade up. Cause that ain't going to be in position to get Caleb Williams or Drake. All may. those people at Arizona get Dummies. the first two picks in the draft. Yeah, idiots. Well, and it turns out Chicago probably will actually, there will end up being a team that does that. And it's going to be Chicago probably. Right. And Carrick, right now that would be the case. I think if I'm not mistaken, that it would. Has, yeah. They, the first two picks would go to the bears. Uh, Ryan Poles, genius. I'm sure he'll do 60 million interviews about what a genius he is after he gets the first two picks in the draft for sure. Uh, John, Devontae Adams, even though the Raiders have won two in a row and they're three and three now, um, Devontae Adams is complaining about how much action he is getting on the field. He only had two catches in the last game. For real or Fugazi, Devontae Adams will be gone from Las Vegas by the time the trade deadline rolls around. Fugazi, because they are three and three, and they think they're in wild card contention. And even though he's unhappy, he's not getting the ball because there ain't anybody throwing the ball. Yeah. I thought it was terrible. Basically, he's saying, I would rather have great stats than win. I saw him get up this morning with Mike Greenberg on ESPN, all these people defending him. The bottom line is, if you're a fan, do you want a player who's more interested in stats or winning? He's more interested in stats. And, yes, yeah. he is a great player. 
He's been a great guy on the team, but man, complain when you're losing, not when you're winning. Yeah, it's wild. All right, last one, John. Astros, as of this recording, were able to chip into the Rangers' lead in the ALCS. Heading into game four, they're down two to one. For real or Fugazi, the Astros will need to win not one, but two at Minute Maid Park if they're going to go back to the World Series. I think that's for real. I think that it'll come back home. And what worries me is not just the fact that they blew all the home games to the Nationals in 2019, how bad, pathetic they've been at home this season. Jordan Alvarez recommended maybe we need to wear road uniforms when we're playing at home. Anything would be different. But I think it's coming back if if they win the game on uh, Thursday night then there's going to be a lot of tight you-know-what. Mm-hmm. So tight you couldn't drive a pin up them with a sledgehammer when they have to play a third game in a row against the Astros at Global Life Field, which really would be their – already is their home away from home. Yeah. Buttholes. That's what John's talking about, everybody. <laughs> tight buttholes, okay? It's a podcast. We can say butthole on the podcast, all right? <laughs> all right. That was for real or Fugazi. I enjoyed that. We hit a little bit of everything on that, John. What do you got going on on SportsRadio610.com? I've got a column on the Texans and the relationship between Nick Casario and D'Amico Ryans, how it's helped their personnel decisions and helped put them where they are right now at 3-3 three and three and one of the biggest surprises in the NFL. I've got a, I'll have an Astros column after the game on Thursday. It'll be posted Friday morning. I'm going to keep writing Astros as long as they're playing. I love it. I love it. John, you're enjoying writing about the Astros, aren't you? I sure am enjoying it. I like doing it last year for Mattress Mac on Gallery Sports and SportsRadio610.com. Now it's exclusively on SportsRadio610.com where there's no paywall. I like it. It's free, free, free. Right, John? Absolutely. There you go. All right, good stuff. Uh, John, enjoy the bye weekend. I'm off to Disney World and the Atlanta Falcons versus Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I'm only saying it again just to rub it in with our producer, James Jackson, lifelong Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. Have a great time in Tampa. I know you will. Uh, we'll, I'll be up in the Ches- our home on the Chesapeake Bay on Monday. Then I'll be back in Monday night. Hopefully the Astros will be preparing for the World Series. Absolutely. Hopefully that's the case. Hey, quick uh, programming note. No Sunday podcast this week because there's no game to break down. So no Sunday pod. So we're back at it on Tuesday with a mailbag episode. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. Send in your questions. We're heading into the, uh, I say, second half of the season, post-bye week part of the season for the Texans and um, a much anticipated matchup between the top two players taken in the 2023 draft. So send in your questions. We love getting them. We love answering them. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. All right. uh, For our producer, James Jackson, does a great job getting you guys the podcast. Um, We thank James. A reminder to click the subscribe button wherever it is you get your podcasts, and that way you'll get the Utopia Football Podcast automatically we keep it tight we keep it easy perfect amount of time for a commute whatever the case may be um we break it all down for you texans and a few other houston topics here uh three times a week normally three times a week during the season on the utopia football podcast so for james jackson and john mcclain i'm sean pendergast we are out of time we will see all of you next week enjoy the bye week weekend everybody 